Welcome to another episode of People with Passion for Pets. Today, my guest on the show is the co-founder of an organization called Mission Canine Rescue. Mission Canine Rescue supports and rescues American working dogs worldwide. They hope to reunite them with their former handlers, provide medical assistance, um, and all kinds of other things. So I am so excited to talk to Bob Bryan today. He is a co-founder and chief technology officer of Mission Canine Rescue. Hi, Bob. Thanks for joining me on People with Passion for Pets today. Good morning. It's so nice to be here. And I thank you for caring enough to have us on your show. We appreciate <laughs> it. Well, Bob, I am super excited for our interview today. Uh, quite frankly, I didn't realize that there was such a need for uh, the American working dogs uh, to be rescued and, um, you know, have all the other services that we provide. So uh, I'm really, really excited for my audience to hear more about your worthy cause. Let us know what it is that you do at Mission Canine Rescue. We were formed back in 2013 after observing a need for several years for working dogs to be returned home or to be reunited with former handlers after their time of service. Since 2013, we brought over 1,300 working dogs home from every corner of the world and around 650 have been reunited with former handlers. Uh, we reunite, we rescue, we repair, rehome, and we re rehabilitate. And we found that uh, the military back in, two, back in 2009 uh, and prior, the military was routinely euthanizing dogs at the end of their oh, service. That's awful. And, well, the, it, no, there's a, there's a good ending to it. A law called Robbie's Law was enacted that, you know, that stopped that except for the worst of the worst, you know, and this euthanasia for cancer and other things is understandable, but just for sure. a dog being the nature for which it was trained was too much. And then we, the military for years did not uh, help much in returning dogs that were retired when they were overseas because they were then no longer considered a military asset. They were never considered a soldier. And so as a result, they couldn't take transport. So if a handler wanted to adopt his former uh, working dog, he had to pay the price of a ticket home. And coming home from a place like Afghanistan is a six to $7,000 trip. Guam is close to $8,000. Korea is five to 6,000. Uh, no corporal's got that kind of money. And we banded together. We found that you know the military would work with us to bring the dogs home if we stepped up and asked them. So that's what we've done for the past 10 years. And uh, some more good news on the horizon. In 2016, uh, when President Obama was in office, uh, he signed a portion of the National Defense Authorization Act that within it included a provision that military dogs retired overseas were to be returned to their uh, last, or returned to the United States soil. The military got around that. They got around it by calling forward operating bases United States soil. And so back and forth, back and forth since 2013 on all this. And now we're seeing some cooperation from the military. The Air Force recently brought two working dogs to us in Seattle from Japan. 
And then we then brought those dogs different places in the United States. So they're starting to help get them here in some cases, but still when they get here, the burden of transportation is on the handler or the organization. Now, I've spit out a lot. I'm going to shut up and let you ask me some questions. <laughs> no, and thank you. That was uh, that was really good. I guess I just kind of, for my audience, maybe want to start out by um, maybe defining a little bit what what are working dogs. So All you right. mentioned the military there, so that's obviously part of it, right? But that's not the only type of animal that you would um, help rescue or help retire. No, there are two types of working dogs we deal with. We deal with military working dogs that are owned by the federal government, and we deal with contract working dogs that are privately owned. They sometimes are attached to the military, but their ownership is private. The problem with contract working dogs is when they, when the contractor runs out of money, it's not like the U.S. government. They can't print more. They're broke, and the dogs are the first to suffer. They're either malnourished or they're, mm -hmm. uh, they stay in kennels way too long. We get the worst medical needs from contract working dogs because they don't get the care they need uh, going along. Let's let's cover the gamut of, of the working dog population we serve. Unfortunately, police departments have very poor planning when it comes to retirement for their dogs. You know, these are dogs that have been stuck in kennels in a backyard their whole life. They're separated. Then the, <clears throat> then the dog will come for retirement. The handler's like, oh, well, I can't afford this, or you know, he's gonna stick the dog in a kennel. And we wind up with a lot of canines that are hard to place. So that's that's a problem. The police departments need to come up with a way to take care of their own. Same thing with the military. It disgusts me that some of them are so lax in their care. Uh, we also receive, dog, receive dogs from the TSA people, transportation side, the airport dogs. We get a lot of uh, German short-haired pointers and Springer Spaniels. Why do you think they use those dogs and not Belgian Malinois and German Shepherds at the airports? No, they're not as aggressive. They're more for sniffing out, maybe? Close. They're not as scary looking. Okay. Their detection ability the same. They just don't they... like to bite you, you know? Gotcha. We also, uh, we also bring dogs in that have been used in uh, citrus pest detection. Belgian Malinois normally, yes, seriously. These dogs run in citrus orchards, and they alert on trees that are diseased. Wow. And by saving, by killing one tree, you'll save 500. Wow. So these dogs just literally, they run all day and they're, they're crazy, but they're cool dogs. Uh, we deal with sometimes bed bug detection dogs. We deal with cadaver dogs. We've dealt with dogs that worked in prisons that find electronics. One dog I want to adopt one day is the dog that's trained to find cash. <laughs> they, they're trying to do that. I'm going to take him, go find me some money, boy. The most prominent working dogs you're going to find in the United States or worldwide these days, number one, first and foremost, the Belgian Malinois. We call them fur missiles or velociraptors. They're <laughs> light, they're fast, they have incredible bite strength, and they're uh, not as subject to hip issues as the German Shepherd. German Shepherd breeds would come in a close second, uh, followed by Labrador Retrievers, um, Springer Spaniels, uh, uh, actually, tell me what the smallest working dog in the world is. Do you know? Oh, I don't know. I'm. I don't know. Jack. I own a Jack Russell. She's a, she's ding, a pretty ding, good working ding, dog. Ding, ding. It's a Jack <laughs> what do you think the Jack Russell goes into to search something that has tight spaces and 
nooks and crannies that a bigger dog couldn't get into? Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, sites where people have been buried or something? Because... Submarines. So, they, oh, wow. They have, little, they have little drug dogs. Little Jack Russell's trained for drug detection, and they sniff out for drugs and subs. So when the Jack wow. on board, the sailors get nervous. Or That's... The <laughs> But, uh, That's great. Yeah. But and, really, your organization, you're, you're looking for any type of working dog that has served right. um, in some way and then now is retiring or has retired and they are in need of not just like being reunited with their handlers because sometimes that's not possible, but there are other things that you do as well, which you mentioned in the beginning. So you you can provide transportation to get them. You can find them new homes. Is that correct too? Yeah, let me, I can give you just kind of a brief what we do when we intake yeah. one of dogs. Yeah. When a dog comes into us, we have a facility in Magnolia, Texas that will handle about 60 dogs at any one time. Oh, they, wow. are, they are air conditioned and heated kennels. We have large outdoor play yards. So multiple dogs can be out at any one time. When the dogs come into us, they are evaluated medically. They get anything and everything they need to remain whole again. Uh, their temperament is evaluated. We even test them with cats. I feel sorry for the poor cat they get tested with, but you know <laughs> she, she's a she's a trooper. She can you can tell she's a hero she, too. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah she, if she runs, that's a military working cat. If she runs, you know the dog doesn't like cats. Um, I have a German Shepherd that gets along fine with my cat. It's funny that he'll walk by and she'll just he'll slap the crap out of him. It's funny, but uh, <laughs> so we take care of them medically. We evaluate their behavior. We also evaluate how they interact with other people. Are they aggressive to any particular ethnicity? And, and we'll find that dogs that work specifically in the Middle East are just candidly they're more aggressive to darker skinned people than lighter skinned people. So all things have to be considered before we place a dog. If there's going to be any long-term medical care needed, we have to make sure that our doctors and we have thousands of applications sitting there. The problem is most people that want to adopt have multiple pets in their household. Mm -hmm. And most working dogs are not multiple pet friendly. Mm -hmm. There may be one other pet, maybe not. My German Shepherd, other than my cat, he would kill any other dog that came close to him just because of his nature and his training. Okay. So, and we also see how they are with children. Uh, a lot of times a dog that is bike trained, that uh, maybe has a ball, you know, the kid gets his ball and then the dog doesn't want to bite the kid. The kid dog just wants the ball, but the kid right. gets a bite. So we have to be real careful with that. So you not just rescue dogs and um, bring them back and then reunite them with their handlers and provide that financial transportation, but you also offer these services to other dogs uh, that have been, you know, working dogs and need rescue and need a home to retire or like you said, rehabilitation. And, and that's maybe something I'd like to talk a little bit further about. Um, obviously uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, we don't really, or the, U.S. government doesn't really look at these dogs as soldiers, but that's truly what they are. And they oftentimes experience just the same type of issues that uh, a person coming back from combat will have, and that is PTSD or other issues that they might have. So uh, speak a little bit about that, maybe. We see a lot of dogs come in with PTSD. Most of these are dogs that have been explosive detection 
or have been in active fighting where there's uh, gunfire going off, uh, they will exhibit scared behavior. They will often exhibit aggressive behavior uh, when they're triggered, when their PTSD is triggered. What we try to do is determine what the cause of the PTSD is and how you're going to have to effectively mitigate it. I'd love to tell you that, oh, we cure dogs of PTSD. Nobody cures them of PTSD. And if they do, you need to cross them off your list real quick. We help them learn how to become pets again. We teach them they don't always have to go after the bad guy. They don't have to look for the bomb. Um, and by doing this and just by showing them love and teaching them how to live inside, teaching them that people do care about them, we find that we're able to mitigate it to some extent while not overcoming it 100%. And obviously, like you mentioned before, a dog such as that needs a home where there are no triggers that he can be safe, but the family has to be safe too. So I really recommend you on you know, looking for those homes that are suitable for those pets as well. So I know that um, my my viewers right now are wondering how they could support such a wonderful cause. So tell us a little bit about how they can connect with you and what are some ways in which they can support you? Sure. I'd like to make them feel good about donating to us first. <laughs> it's, very, it's very rare when people will upfront tell you what their spend to their mission is based on their donations. 92.67% of every dollar went to the work. We are wow, that's awesome. No profit. There's nobody riding in first class. There's nobody riding on leather seats, staying in five-star hotels. I have two wonderful co-founders, two females that do all this work. And these ladies, they sleep in roadside parks. They sleep in the van with these dogs when they're hauling. <laughs> they, we literally walk the walk. You can donate to us. Um, you can go to Mission K9 Rescue. That's the letter K and the number nine, rescue.org. Big donate button there. Uh, you can see most of our current work on Facebook, and you can find us there by Mission K9. Now, um, talk a little bit about how your company came to be. I always love to hear the backstories and, and how, um, you know, people with a passion for pets really come up with, you know, sure. these ideas. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I kind of got drug in by false <laughs> premises. No, uh, my partners, Louisa Kastner and Kristen Maurer. Kristen Maurer is our president. Kristen calls me up and said, would you please co-found a new organization with me? I didn't think twice about it. I agreed, and here we are today. Now, as to their background, uh, Kristen uh, Maurer, uh, she was a canine handler. Uh, for years, she worked as private uh, drug detection in the Houston area. Uh, Louisa Castor, my other co-founder, she was a veterinary technician for the United States Army, and she worked with the military dogs. Okay. So these are two women that knew everything. Tell us a little bit about maybe uh, some of your success stories, anything that uh, I'm sure there's hundreds of them, as many as you have saved, but can you maybe bring some sure. to light? Back in 2016, there were 22 working dogs that were dumped uh, in a kennel in Chesapeake, Virginia. Uh, these dogs at the time were, were owned by the Army. The Army had a program called the TED program. It was Tactical Explosive Detections Dogs. They helped 
during the Iraq troop drawdown. And these dogs were then brought to the United States and they were just put in this kennel in Chesapeake, Virginia. And we got a call from this guy. They had a mass of $35,000 bill. And these were dogs that had served our country. We were able to not only pay the bill, but rescue all the dogs and then place them successfully all, all over the country. Uh, I can give you many stories uh, of military reunions with the dogs that they've served with. We'll fly these dogs uh, to wherever their handlers are. They'll meet us at the airport. I have seen dogs going crazy, squealing, crying because they know who they are and they're so happy to be back with them. Mm. The same thing too. I see a lot of handlers crying because their dog really does recognize them. A lot of them wonder, well, is he going to recognize me? 100% yes. That's wonderful. Wow. Those are very heartwarming stories. And it's it's just nice when there are um, some happy endings to some of these really sad um, in-betweens. And, and again, you know, these are dogs that uh, they serve us as human beings. They serve their country as, um, you know, truly, I, I believe that they are soldiers when they go and fight in wars and, and help our soldiers. Um, so it's definitely such a wonderful cause. I appreciate so much of what you do. Thank you. We're proud of the work we do. And I hope that one day we won't have to do it anymore because every dog will have a home. Every dog will come home. Every dog will get medical care. I would ask your viewers <clears throat> to please consider caring just as much about a dog coming home and that same dog getting the medical care that they need. A lot of times we'll have people throw money at us literally to bring a dog home from wherever and the dog comes home, it's got a cancer. It needs to be taken care of. Crickets. Mm. Just like, oh, well, dog's home. Okay, great. Somebody mm. else can pay for it. No. These are senior dogs. We never know how much time we're going to have with them. We never know what they're going to present with. And we ask those listening to care as much about the care of the working dogs that served our country as we do about just wanting to get them back home in general. Wow, that you know that that is really a a great point there that you're making, Bob. Because um, I think a lot of times we get caught up in the the sensation of, you know, wow, there's a dog and it's left over there and now we want to bring it home. And that, that seems such a big need, but like you're saying, it really, the work doesn't end there. In fact, it probably begins there. And that's just the beginning of a dog that has, um, you know, been in these awful conditions has worked all their life. And now you have to not only probably take care of the medical, but we talked about PTSD. We have to talk about, they have to learn to be a pet again. They have to learn to um, assimilate back into the life here as a normal pet, rather than this, this working dog that was a soldier uh, someplace else where there were uh, very tough conditions. Correct. A lot of people too, I want to clear up a couple of things just to make it clear. A lot of people will, will listen to this and they'll think, wow, that'll make me a good service dog. No, it won't. These dogs cannot serve as service dogs. They cannot be certified as service dogs. They are not trained to form any specific tasks related to service. Please, please, please. If you truly need a service dog, get one from someone that trains them to be service dogs. Um, we also don't adopt out dogs to anyone that's wanting protection dogs. These dogs work is done. 
It'd be like asking grandpa to go fight the neighborhood bully. Yeah. You know, maybe he'd win, but what kind of shape would he be in afterwards? We also want our, our adopters to understand that they are responsible and must provide the cost of senior medical care. It's so important. We, we don't, even though we do close to $2 million a year in donation revenue, we don't have the money to do medical for own dogs. Right. Uh, we'll spend a couple of hundred thousand a year just on vet care on our dogs. So yeah, there's, those... there's a lot of variables there that I just want to make it clear to people, you know, what's good, what's not good and, and ask them to think about that. And and thank you. So, um, yeah, of course, you know, there might be people out there in the audience right now that are saying, hey, um, maybe I can't um, donate, but I could be giving a loving home to a pet. But you made some very good points there in that um, these dogs, they are coming with some big responsibility and some strings attached when it comes to probably lots, medical care as well. Lots of exercise needs, too. If you're a warm body that sits on a couch, don't get a working dog. Um, I probably walk three miles a day with my German Shepherd. He was a patrol and drug dog out of a city in Canada. Um, in addition to stimulation, he still likes to search. You know, I'll go hide things for him. He's learned how to find tennis balls. He yeah. found 18 tennis balls in a row for me <laughs> one day, and he will take the first one. He'll drop it. He'll get the next one. He'll never touch one. He's had in his mouth again. He wants to find a new one. So That's they did funny. simulation. One of our adopters taught his dog up in uh, Utah how the how to find elk antlers. Mm -hmm. That's very profitable enterprise. This dog yeah. find animals. Shed hunting, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very nice. But That's no, they, awesome. They do need a lot of stimulation still, even though they're older. And that that's great. I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Bob, because uh, you mentioned earlier that these dogs aren't supposed to come back and become a working dog, like a service dog or a protection dog, but they certainly still need um, to feel like they have a job. They st like so many other dogs. You know, I have a mini Aussie. He's never been a working dog, but he still has to have a job. You know, my Jack oh, Russell Terrier. She wants to go out and hunt golfers and do things. You know, that's what they're meant to do, and that's what brings them joy in life. And you know, like so many other people that I had on my show, we talk about mental stimulation, about, you know, offering things to your dog. So uh, tell us a little bit more about the dog that you have, about your pet. All right. PD Canine Navy, mm -hmm. Patrol Narcotics Detection Dog. Navy worked in a city called Longueuil. It's up in the Montreal, Quebec region where they're all French speaking. Uh, he, was he was born in Czechoslovakia. He was trained in French and uh, German. And so, for instance, if I want him to lay down, and I tell him coucher, and he'll lay down. Uh, he also responds to some English commands. Some, somehow, Navy's handler got in some sort of trouble. I don't know what it was. I was not privy to that. I don't need to know. But in Canada, by trained dogs that can't go to their handler are euthanized. And when the Canine department up there reached out to us. They explained this to me. They said, look, you know, this is a great dog. He really deserves a chance. At that time, I had a dog named Anubis, a big Belgian Malinois that was 13, who was very near to death. And I know that there's one way to get over a dog. That's to have another dog, you know, mm -hmm. kind of, kind of in the wings. And we flew to Vermont. They drove him across the border to us. And then we drove him back six days. While I had three working dogs before Navy, 
one of them bike trained uh, to two bomb dogs that weren't bike trained. All of them were friendly to other dogs. Navy's the first one I've ever had that's a challenge. And it was a learning curve. So that's why we're very hesitant. If we've got a police canine, for instance, that we've taken in, we're going to be real picky about who that dog goes to because we know the potential for bites and we don't want it to happen on our watch. Are there some things that you could tell people about um, legislation or something? Is there anything that um, we can do as citizens of the great country of the United States to create some laws that, that would help these pets? What the public could do otherwise on a national basis would be to write your representative, your senator, senator, your congressman, demand that the military provide retirement medical funding for their working dogs. Don't make it up. Don't make it on the adopter to pay the price of an illness or issue that was born by their military service. Contractors require contractors with privately owned dogs to carry a deposit that guarantees medical care for those dogs and guarantees those dogs a flight home and adequate care during that time. No deposit, no dogs, no trip. Uh, that would save us so much trouble. And it would keep you from having to give a hundred bucks to help a dog if somebody else did it. You know, that's, on, that. that's on my wish list. If people want to do that, it'd be a good thing. Enough people scream, they'll finally do something. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm surprised to hear when you mentioned earlier in the interview that um, canine units here in the United States police uh, is actually also very ill-prepared to take care of their retiring um, canines. They really so. are. I mean, there's a couple of good foundations. The National Police Dog Foundation is one. I think there's canines somewhere or another. You know, there are people like us whose sole purpose is, you know, they're providing the police dog's bulletproof vests. They're providing them, with, you know, this or that, but the departments need to be providing these things. You know, they need to fund their own programs. If they can't fund their own programs, they need to question whether they need the department or not. Yeah. Because no, and, and I think there, there needs to maybe to be a difference in how we look at a dog that serves, whether or not it's a police officer or a military person or a private contractor versus an equipment. You know, they're not, they're not an inanimate uh, object they are a, a living being that that after uh, work needs to have some kind of a retirement plan and maybe that's something you know that all of these organizations need to take a look at now these dogs are some of the smartest animals i've ever had the opportunity to be around they amaze me with their ability to pick up stuff and we need to show them the care and concern that they deserve after sacrificing, you know, they didn't ask to work. They were, and they didn't have a choice. Right. Yeah. Well, Bob, I am so appreciative for you being on the show today. Um, such really great information, a great organization that, that you have co-founded. Uh, hopefully uh, people in the audience will find ways to support you in your cause and hopefully there'll be, you know, a lot of people that that have uh, seen or heard this today that can um, maybe make a difference when it comes to taking care of these canines in the future. Thank you for joining us today on People with Passion for Pets. And until next time, keep your paws on the road.